0: Hey everybody, Sucsidu here, and today I am joined by Daniel Meek from Biceps & Bands. So, Dan, thanks for joining me.
1: Yeah, half of Biceps & banter, I don't know, you had the other half on the other day,
0: I, think. I did, yeah, I should have heard what you have to say about you, mate. I'd um, oh, I'd you. be prepared to to bite back today. <laughs> and get some yeah, actually, well, I've seen
1: him play golf, so it's fine. <laughs> um, I've got a video as well, a video evidence of it. so I can post
0: that. Yeah, so... We will be going through Dan's story, career, and the business um, that he's running today, really successful business, Biceps & Banter, in detail. But in the meantime, Dan, if you just want to give people a quick overview of of who you are and what Biceps & Banter is. Uh, Who
1: am I? There's a question. Uh, I'm just an ordinary guy. It's that (laughs) whole thing, isn't it? I'm just an ordinary guy. Um, Yeah, so I'm just uh, just a coach, but I've been coaching people... uh, forever, basically since I was an adult, I think I got into coaching of some of some description, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, yeah, so, so I kind of started off with that, and it's kind of evolved as, as time has gone on, obviously, just with expertise and how they've changed, um, as to who I coach. Um, but yeah, I've always, always coach people, um, which, yeah, it's funny. I literally, from, I'm just thinking, even, before I was an adult, even when I was 14, 15, I was coaching, because um, at that level at school, like, you had that were done you know you had coaching elements within that um it's so going to primary school for coaching which is um so it's always, always done it and then vice versa is now a, a business and a company which again sounds crazy to say out loud um that provides i suppose fat loss coaching and now also coaching other coaches um on how to i suppose build a build a business that they may wish to, to build that maybe looks similar to what we've done um and that's kind of where we're at now um i suppose we'll talk about how that evolved in the last sort of um, yeah, four or five years, I guess, um, what it is today.
0: 100%. So am I right in thinking that you got your start in the industry in professional sport? Was that step one?
1: Yeah, step one, yeah. So I, um, I think it, it was about the age of 16. Um, so just as I was going into A-levels, I remember that I knew I wanted to do this uh, or go into professional sport as a career because I picked my A-levels based on what I thought people at university would, would want. So I like, did biology, PE and psychology. Uh, then IT as an AS level design. Um and I sort of went down that route of I could' I wasn't good enough to play sport me. I realized that at 15, 16, I wasn't good enough I was like right well, how can I be involved in sport um and, and still still kind of be in the arena and at the time um, sports science wasn't really it was just emerging it was like you could go to university and study it um, and it was at the time where some football teams were starting to talk about it so those are those people who are old enough to know some other at Bolton and all those sorts of things like and Alex Ferguson was at United at the time and they were the only two in the Premier League that kind of talked about it and it was still very much a young thing um, and it was an emerging thing, so there was quite a few jobs available within that, that arena and then it became quite prominent so it was what I wanted to do, I thought right I'll be a sports scientist, I'll go into sports science at the time I didn't really know much about personal training, fitness or anything like that, it was just for me it was, I was interested in sport and I was half decent at school, so I was like, right, well, if I do science stuff, then I can apply it to some sport. Um, so I knew quite quickly um, when I was 16. So a lot of the choices I made from the age of 16 to 18 uh, uh, and, and further into t- 21 when I went to uni. And that five-year period, all the choices I made were sort of gearing me towards going into professional sport. So um, at uni, I you know, I, I gave up a lot of my free time to go and work for free at football clubs. So I didn't turn at football clubs at the time. They were... Offering out these free sort of placements, so I just go and spend every summer, every summer and every Easter, I would spend at a football club um, getting some some work experience for free. So I luckily I, I mean I supported Reading Football Club, which is uh, nothing to shout about. Um, but I just managed to, to I, I just I did, I did it the old fashioned way. I just sent letters. I just sent letters to the people there and said, can I can I come and, and work, you know, with you guys and I'll do anything. I just want to see what it's like in the sports science department. And at that point, at that time, it was got a got an email back and you got somewhere yeah okay cool come in like my why, why wouldn't you I suppose for free, free to do dog body work and um yeah I got my in and and I went there for for one for summer and then they kept asking back every time I was off uni they were like oh do you want to come back and do some more like the me around and stuff like that and that's how I um I got my break and all of the other I suppose kids are on my degree and on my placement in sports science were not be wanted to do. I already, already knew and, and that's where it came to like the last year at, at university and they did like the whole like, oh, so what you can do for your placement, you need to do a six week placement. And I went along and I like, I've already done 24 weeks of work at a football club and people couldn't believe it. And I was like, and then I went from uni, did a master's and then got into professional football straight away. And I think people were a bit like, oh, how did you do it? And I was like, well, I didn't go on holiday and I didn't do all that shit. I worked my nuts off for free while living with my nan. So I was like, that's how I did it. Um, and I think it's still being good set up at this point as well. Um, yeah. Sort of a bit, a bit yeah. of graft I suppose.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people, like myself included, when I was in A-level, like, sports science, going to work in professional sport, um, but I think a lot of people, and, and you could probably um, correct me on this, or you probably have more uh, a better insight, a lot of people go into it thinking it's one thing and then quickly realise that it's not as exciting as they think. It's There are fewer jobs, obviously you got into it at a time where there were more jobs, it's not very well paid, um, and they don't actually have much say in what can be done. So how did you how did you find working in professional sport?
1: Um, it was eye-opening, for sure. Um, I think for me, it started off with, I knew that I would give to wash protein shakers and prepare water bottles and stuff. I kind of knew that was going to be the case. I think at, at, at an intern level. Um, and I suppose what I didn't quite realise was how long it would take for me to be in a position with listen. Um And... I think it's one of those where I was never afraid of hard work. So I, again I knew it would be a case of of, of that. And and so yeah, in terms of like getting people to, to take me seriously, I really I think I realized quite quickly that I saw other people get absolutely eaten alive because they weren't prepared to almost um stand up for themselves a little bit, but also have a bit of banter and have a personality. And I think luckily for me, um having done the work for free in football, when I got to the point where I was actually in there on a in a paid position, I quickly realized that to get people respect, you have to almost join in and um have fun with it, have a bit of banter and, and be able to take it as well as give it a little bit. And it was very much based on your personality. And I quickly realized that you can know everything in the world, you can have all the degrees and all this sort of stuff. But if you did they didn't like you as a person, you were not going to get anywhere. But that, that's kind of that was kind of it pretty much but for me. Is I realized, right, get your head down, clean these shakers, make jokes about the fact that all you do is clean and make the fact about Jokes about the fact no one listens to you and pays attention. But then when you have got something to say, stand up and say, Well, no, look, this actually needs to be talked about and this needs to be discussed and whatever, because they they then took it seriously. Whereas if you were someone that was always very much down the line, this is what this is what this says, this is what the training says, and and you were almost a bit too bookworm like, they would just destroy you um, in in bubble. So um, that's kind of what I realized. And and I think that as I got through it, as I got through into, into my sort of first paid role, like you said, I got no problem talking about how much, you know, I got paid. I was the first team sports scientist, so a Premier League football club. Um, we got, well, I was in the championship at the time, we got promoted that year. Um, I was on £22,000 a year. Um, I think they knew that they could pay me so so little because I was, um, it was my first paid job in, in, in the industry. I was still quite surprised at how low it was, but I was like, right, cool. Again, get your head down. You'll be fine in, in a few years' time. You'll be at the top level with everyone else. Um... And then when you realise how much work you had to do for it, I remember in my first year, I remember sitting down over the summer, um, bearing in mind you have to work Christmas Day, Boxing Day, um, you know, at any point the manager, if, if a player has had a bad game, I remember, don't forget, players get beat 4-0 on Saturday, you've arranged to go drive home to see missus on Sunday, drive back Monday for work, and the team lose 4-0, he's like, you're all training on Sunday morning. You're, you're in training on Sunday morning, like a drop a hat on a Saturday at 6pm. Again, Christmas Day, all this sort of stuff, and obviously have a longer break over the summer. But then it came to that summer, and they said, oh, "Okay, cool. So here's the rota for who's in and who's off over the summer." And I was like, "What?" But I was injured players, and obviously, sports managers to kind of help them. So I think I had like two weeks off over the summer, no holiday during, not the holiday the season. Like that. And I just remember I had to do all the reserve team games. We just have to travel away to like, you know, Bradford, Sunderland, like from Hull, which is not not easy on a Wednesday night. Um, when you got trainers the next day on Thursday, and I remember working at like hourly pay, it was like £4.12p an hour. Um, and I was like, ah, do we well, really want to be doing this? And then went back for the first season in the Premier League, it was. Um, and I remember going back in and thinking, okay, cool, I've got a year on my belt. Hopefully, they'll listen a bit more to me now. I went away in pre season tour to Portugal, or whatever. Um, and I'll never forget like seeing at the time. I think they hired someone else, they hired another like head of SNC who came in. He was like a 40 year old guy, so knowledgeable, knew everything. Been at Loughborough University, been at Man City's Academy. And for him, this was like a step up to going to first team. And within a week, within a week, the management and the manager's like fitness coach mate, who was just no one basically, just a just guy with a whistle who shouted, like, Yeah, run more. Um, Decided within a week that he didn't really like him, didn't really get on with him, personality wasn't matched. I was just sat there, and I could see it all unfold in front of me, and I could see like the management team, the manager, his little mate, who was in charge of everyone in the sports science department, even though he didn't know anything, because he was only reporting to. Saw this head of SNC come in, I was the first team sports scientist, so this guy was kind of ahead of me anyway, he'd been head of S&C. And I could just see it a mile away, I was just sat there looking around, going, What? I can't do this. He was 40, moved away from his wife and two kids, left Man City Academy where he'd been there for eight years, probably on a decent salary at that point. Lived in near Manchester, and was driving backwards and forth from Hull, staying overnight in a place in Hull. He was 40-odd. And I could just see he got this job and within a week, no one respected him. And I was like, I can't do this. I was yeah. like, I can't be 40 and do this. And it was at that moment, I just, I never forget it. I was sat in the sports science office, I was eating breakfast, doing some data analysis, and I remember it. Because it all happened, and then the very that very week we had a meeting in, in the office with the manager pre-season, um, and we're talking about um, some players and whether they were ready for the season or whatever. I don't know what it was now, something like that. What was that? Six games in, or something like that. We had six games in a row, real quick after pre-season. That was it. Six games in a row, really, really quick. And um, we all in a, in a meeting in the sports science department, and I just said based on the data, I was like. These players played all pre-season, they've run the socks off, they played these six games back to back, they can do with the rest. If you want them to play all season, like they're they're gonna need some time to, to rest, basically. All the training, because again, the manager was like, big on, running into the climb. So I said yeah. to his mate, who was the fitness coach, I was like, This is what this is what I'm seeing, this is the data, like do with it what you will, but that's what I think. And he was like, Yeah, that sounds good, yeah, yeah. And like if that's what you send It says, then then propose that, say that, and look, we'll, we'll hopefully we'll, we'll get these guys some rest whatever. Go into the meeting, and the manager goes, oh, so anything from sports science you need to know about? And, um, and Will will the question. to so go, Dan, what, anything to say? I was like, yeah, just say let you know, Gaffer, you know, these three players, like, they've played a lot, you know, they're our star players, they're doing really well, like, at some point they're going to need a rest because they've played three, six games back to back, they've played all the, all the three, three pre-season games, like, probably give them a break at some point. He then turned to his mate and went, is that right, Will? And he went, no, nah, they'll be all right, Gaffer, they'll be fine. No problem, like that. And I remember at that point just going, "I'm done." And it was the same week that that had happened with this guy, you know, come in. And I was just like, nah, couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it anymore." And um, I, at the time, i my dad was um, my dad was having a kid. He was, he was on the kidney transplant list. Have a kidney channel. He lived in London. I lived in Hull. And it was just like this weird coincidence that all this stuff happened at once. And a week after that, pretty much. I had a phone call at six, uh, seven o'clock in the morning. I was in the training about seven o'clock in the morning. Seven o'clock in the morning from my dad. And my dad would never ring me at six o'clock in the morning, ever. And it was like, yeah, we've had the call, like, and had my transplant kind of thing. So I went to the gaffer on the list is what happened, and he said, look, go home, like, go and see your dad, whatever, do all that sort of stuff. I went down to see him. And I also, at that week, had a interview at a gym in London for a job. And I could use the excuse of the fact that I had to go see my dad to almost do this interview went into London, had the interview with this gym, and that was it, it was all done in the space of like two weeks, I handed my notice in. And I, just that moment, I realized that I just couldn't do it anymore. I just couldn't see the, the politics in the world of football, and I was like, I couldn't do it. So I decided, I was like, I'm not putting all that work and effort in, but the next 18 years to be treated like that guy was, even though he knew loads of stuff and he was really, really good. Just couldn't do it to myself um so i, I kind of used that as a reason to move look.
0: and then uh, did any at this point are you thinking i want to run a business or or anything entrepreneurial or are you just thinking i'm going to go and be a personal trainer fitness coach working a gym like what's in your head at that point
1: at that point it was i also had a girlfriend at the time we lived in london <clears throat> so that was kind of part of it. i think my, my my initial view was I wanted a bit more autonomy, because <clears throat> I'd realised that in football, again, I was just working whenever someone else told me to work, and the hours were ridiculous, and I thought, well, i a PTF in PCF in two more hours. Um, but I think I'd also kind of wanted a bit of my my life back, because I felt like I'd given away so much to try and make it in football. Between the age of, like I said, probably you know 18 to 23, I hadn't really done any holidays, hadn't been travelling like my friends had been travelling, hadn't really lived the life, hadn't really live with housemates that I really like, like to live with other than uni. And, you know all those guys went on to London together and lived together again in London and I think at that point I just wanted to live in London for a couple of years and just, just see what came with it just be a PT in London I was like there's money in London I'll be a PT see what happens um, and yeah it was just it was just a bit of an adventure more than anything at the time I think it was just uh, 20, I think was 23 23, 24 um and I just decided, see what happens. It was never, it was never, uh, oh, I'll go work for myself and be this, you know, be this business or anything like that. Because the, the gym I went to was third space. And at the time at third space, one of the reasons I chose them was because you were actually employed. So you had, had a very small, a was small to be fair, base salary. But then you took a percentage cut of your clients. And you effectively got given your clients on the gym floor. It wasn't like a rent model when I had to go and canvas for all my clients. Like you. You stayed there long enough, you would get given leads, you know, not not not, not shitloads, but you would regularly kind of get people sent away by emails because this is so-and-so just joined the gym, they've got five free class sessions, you know, reach out to them and say they want PT. Um, so yeah, it was it was we rocked up, um, and me and Tom Hall started in the same week, um, and me and Tom still do a podcast together now and. We rocked up on the first week, and it was weird because we both—he'd done exactly the same thing, only with a different football club—and he was in performance analysis, and he had exactly the same experience. And we both came together. With that first week, we were chatting about obviously what we experienced in football, um, and yeah, we we kind of were a bit competitive. And I'll never forget—we sat down with the with the manager at the time. It was a really good guy. He sat down and um, and he just said, "Look, guys," he said, "Your knowledge level with where you come from. you've come from—you've got the opportunity here to." to smash this like you could be the top performing trainers um if you do this the right way uh and he said you know the most anyone's ever done in the first um in their first month of the, as a PT here is 50 sessions so I'd expect you guys to be somewhere close to, to doing 50 sessions in a month and we were like we both look at each other obviously like competitive from football we're like come on then, let's see what we can do kind of He um, won. so it's weird how again from that like uh, I think I won, I think it was 60, <laughs> I got 60, 65, maybe I think he got 62, something like that, I wouldn't <laughs> say the exact numbers off the top of my head, but it was close, but we both would have won it if it was not for the other one being there kind of thing anyway. Um, yeah, and, and it's funny how we took the same principles from what we'd done in football to get to get to that point, which was work work on nuts off, be there, be be person, um, be personable with people, be sociable, you know, be a decent person. We applied the same things and it paid off in, in one-to-one PT. You know, we just spent every hour there. So, like, when you first start, most PTs, when they go started in like that, is they do their shifts. They get given their leads by email. They email them, they'll come in, they'll do them and go in. And they kind of, you know, they're kind of basking in free time a little bit. Whereas we were there like, well, we might as well just stay all day. Not day. We might as well see, speak to people and... Be, be near the sales office. Like, so, again, there was a sales desk where the guys who were shipping around the gym, he'd upsell them into their, their gym membership. And then he'd be like, oh, you get five free personal training sessions. And then me and Tom would literally sat on the sofa while he was saying that to them. And they, and they would be like, oh, yeah, that sounds really good. Can we get booked in tomorrow? And he'd literally turn and go, damn, Tom, you got any time tomorrow? And people couldn't figure it out that we were getting all these people and how. And I was like, well, we're just not stupid. Like, you're going home. And we just sat right here and we can speak to these people, we see them. And we go, So, what you know, what what you're interested in? I want to lose that one game, or someone do this, and it was just I I found it quite I don't, know, I don't want to say easy, but to us it seemed straightforward at least. Maybe one not that easy, but straightforward. is be be a person, be human. Show show you that you've got a sense of humor and that you're a decent person to spend time with, and you will probably be all right. Um, and yes, that's kind of how how I started. And I even at that point, we never really had any other views other than wanting to be at that point or whatever we need to be full um at that point um and yeah so the other thing as well that, at this point i was doing some online coaching on the side so i was doing bits of, of online coaching um, but never anything like never you know huge amounts class i think the most i probably had at that point would be eight or nine or something like that charging i wasn't charging six quid a month at that point you know the, the highlight of the beginning um, so that was for me. Is again, I, I wanted a certain number of clients because I also had the online stuff. That was that was again. I worked with another company, so it was a case of I didn't have to do loads and loads of work. I just had to kind of do the other bit of social media, uh, and then they would again send me your way because they'd ask for you on a website or you know they'd say they weren't doing that preference so you just gave even leads that way. So for me, there wasn't really much of a business. It was just a case of I just gave away a percentage, of whatever I earned, to someone else to find leads for me.
0: Yeah when did the transition to fully online happen was that next was that after third space or, or was it was there anything else whatsoever? yeah it was yeah it
1: was after third space so i've been at third space for a while um quite how long two years maybe it wasn't too long but again i got full pretty quick so again the first month i got to 60 50 60 um, and I only ever wanted to do 80, 80, 90 months because of the way I wanted my, my sort of schedule to be structured. And, and I was lucky that quite quickly got full uh, and then managed to kind of manipulate my timetable as I wanted it to be. So I'd only worked, I'd worked pretty much most mornings and only two evenings was my thing. I didn't want to stay in the evening. I wanted to, to do most of my stuff in the morning. So I did that and um, I got lucky enough to work with a very um, a very exclusive client while I was there and did a bit a bit bit bit. bit, bit to train with them, um, and then it was when Laura—it was when Laura fell pregnant. So when she fell pregnant, we kind of like looked at it and we were like, "Do we want to bring up bring up Isabel in London?" We were just a bit like, "I'm not really sure if it's what we want to do." Um, and at the time, I joined—I was um, part of Team Box with Mike, um, Steve, Chris, and Laura, and and again, we were umming and ahhing about kind of like, "Okay, if we were to." really go for this and kind of make it big, as big as we think it could be. We probably need to spend more time together. So it all just kind of came together, really, at the time. We were like, look, let's just, let's just take a leap and go, right, we're going to make this happen, make this online coaching thing a, a real business. I think at the time I might have had 15, 15 to 20 clients maybe online, um, which was nowhere near enough to, to support a family in, in Bath or whatever. Um, but it was one of those standard things that you get into as a, as a, as a coach which is i'm doing a bit of a bit of in person a bit of online you're kind of happy with both but one on their own wouldn't be enough to do what you wanted to do um so i did the ballsy thing and just went right well yeah (laughs) i just 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 move and me and laura decided to just um to just make the the trip And because luckily because we're in a gym where you're employed laura had some maternity pay for six months at least not a lot but at least had something um, which you wouldn't get, most PTs wouldn't get, of course, if they're off, uh, PTs. So Laura's a PT as well, sorry for, for adding context. Um, yeah, we just decided to um, make the leap, which I've done up to this point. I, I said this to, to Mike on a bit on YouTube, we did not long ago. I said every time I've done that, it's, it's kind of paid off. So I was like, screw it, just do it. Um, yeah. You know, I took the leap to <laughs> go into football up, up in Hull, and I took the leap to move down to London. And it was just a case of, well, screw it, let's just do it again, back yourself and, and go for it.
0: Yeah, I think th- there's two ways to look at that And same, like if I if I if I decide I'm going to go for something, it's a, a leap of faith, no parachute. You know, figure it out and mm-hmm. you know, jump off the cliff. Figure out the parachute on the way down. Um, but it's not for everyone. And I think a lot of people kind of make that leap of faith without without having that experience of yeah, I know I'll figure it out because I've done an X, Y, Z before, um, or I've put the work in prior to it. Um, so you've. You've taken this leap of faith, you've joined Team Box, which is effectively like an online coaching company uh, mm-hmm. as a member of the team. Um, and that doesn't quite work out long term, so obviously, without going into too much detail, Mike has gone into a bit of detail on that as well. For those of you listening, if you want to listen to Mike's podcasts, um, you go into a bit more detail, but that doesn't really work out. Um, so you just want to speak on that briefly, and then and then how you know biceps and banter kind of grew from that. Yeah, so
1: it, it it kind of came about because it was effectively um five people who all had a differing way of what maybe direction we should take. And ultimately it became two sides that were just butting heads the whole time, me and Mike, and then the other two. I say two, I mean like the other, then we have a, a female of Laura, um who went her own way as well in the end. So you could argue say it's three kind of sides, of it, but just regularly butting heads on what we should and shouldn't do, we just felt like there was a lot of time wasted, personality clashes, what shouldn't shouldn't be done. And me and Mike just spent a lot of time together through that. And and, and because of the the, the, the clashes and what should and shouldn't be, it was like you know things like what should be put out on social media, what should be done for launches, and all this sort of thing. Um, the the main guy Steve didn't want his his name associated too much to maybe some of the stuff he my saying I'm talking about, which. Uh, again it's his prerogative i suppose certainly. but it then became very clear that it was his thing not it was supposed to be like a joint thing we're all in it together and then it quickly became apparent and, and maybe mike's to this in more detail that it wasn't it was kind of like well i don't want my name associated with that stuff it's like, i mean i thought this was a, a group thing so that was kind of where Vice and about started as a youtube channel um we were like okay cool okay we're going to your name we'll put it separately we'll just put out some some fun videos and do what we want to do um so yeah, that, that's kind of how the channel came about, and then it just became apparent that as we started doing more and more of them, that they'd like I said, it was just we were growing apart in terms of what we believed and what we thought the best way of going about things was. Um, and uh, yeah, I suppose another leap of faith was taken where it was like uh, something happened, that was kind of a big, a big thing that happened. Um, it was funny enough when I was away training my client, my sort of quite exclusive client that I trained at the time, I was away training him for a couple of weeks in Paris. And um, Mike was away on holiday at the time, I think, as well. And something had been done behind our back that we'd all planned, been changed to suit the other person's um, way of doing things. And we were just like, "I'm done. We're just done with like, that." When we get back, we're telling them we're done and we're going our own way. So we decided to, to again take another leap of faith and do that. And I remember we were a bit nervous at the time, but less nervous this time because we were like, "No, we genuinely believe that this is the right thing." we will be bigger, and um, there's this false sense of security I think sometimes as a group um even if things aren't going well you kind of assume well it's the like shared responsibility thing of well if if I do badly, everyone else is badly so it's not as bad which is ridiculous when you think about it but um it was a bit of that so we just decided to um to run with the YouTube channel and and kind of go all in on it really um felt as if we'd be able to do everything our way and how we wanted to do it um and so to say it's uh Worked out all right, I think. So yeah, it's um yeah, with, like, so just a YouTube channel, and it's and it's and, it, and it's now much more now. But but again, the same. I think the same message is still there. I think throughout our our time of working together, I think the same. One thing that we've never weighed on is our message, even in putting across, right or wrongly. But again, it's it's led to us doing a the business. So we kind of again felt a bit vindicated in our decision to go right. with our own thing. And I think the two guys. Um, uh not not kind of doing as well maybe so it, it kind of feels a little bit like well at least we've grown to do everything our own way and it kind of worked out for, for the best for us so that's kind of the way we look at it
0: Yeah. So biceps and banter today is one-to-one online coaching. You have your clients, Mike has his, you have a team of coaches, mm-hmm. um, a group program and obviously a business education mentoring element to it as well um well, what i want to kind of ask you about is you know having a, a team of co-founders effective effectively didn't really work or business partners didn't really work at Teambox, but it has obviously for you and micah um biceps and banter why do you think that is like what's important from from a you know people who are interested in finding a partner for example so just to give this a bit of context you know we've you know kind of got into the world of Silicon Valley and investors and and all that stuff with striders, then what we found is most investors won't even give you the time of day. If you don't have a co-founder, if you don't have business partners, if you don't have a a team of co-founders, um, so it's super common, right? Most big businesses will have two or three people who found the company, but in fitness, it's just, I will not say unheard of, but super uncommon. Um, so going back to the question, why didn't it work at Team Box compared to why it has worked at biceps and banter? And do you think more people should consider partnerships? Uh, good, good
1: question. I think um, I think it didn't work with Team Box because it was too many. It was five people who were, um, who were thrown together and told. I suppose look, you're all a part of this. You're an equal part of it um and there's a lot of different voices a lot of different way of doing things and i think it would have been different had it been that we were like co-founders and we had people working underneath us doing the bulk of the work but the problem was that we were all at such a small level of of us i don't want to call it stark about that but it's just five people working together is that our own individual income was dictated by our clients and then there was kind of like this overarching brand which kind of like dictated how well that did even though it was down to us as individuals to get our own clients, as it were. So it kind of felt a little bit like, well, we're being hamstrung by a big brand message, but we can't do things that we know would work to get one-to-one clients, which kind of was a bit a bit annoying from, from that point of view. Um, and I think as well, like, just to be honest, I just don't think, I don't think the chemistry was right between all the people that were there. I think it was, that, that was that's what it comes down to. I don't think it was a case of there was... It's amazing i'm probably a bit naive in business sense as well we just hadn't really run businesses at that point we were just we were just all online coaches or pts previously and been thrown together in our first kind of thing together um so i wonder how many of those people like say in Silicon valley stuff and the co-founders strike you know strike lucky with the first thing they do together or first thing they ever do i'd imagine there's a bit of this a few failed things first to realize well i don't like working that type of person or i do like working that type of person and. I think for me and Mike, the reason that we sort of branched off together was that our values were just pretty much the same. Um, we spent a lot of time together, not only in a work sense, but also personally, like our sense of humour are the same. We get on like the same things on TV and all that sort of stuff. So it was very much a case of our values were aligned from, from that point of view. Um, and we get on outside of work. Like we, were, if we were just to go for, for a drink or food or, or, or watch some sport, it would, we'd have similar views and similar ways of doing things. For us, the biggest thing is our sense of humour. Is, is the thing that, that that kind of binds us, as it were. Um, which I think is the same for most most friends. I suppose I think you probably get on maybe because you find them fun to be around, or you you know you can find the same things funny. Um, and and it kind of bled into our fitness content, I suppose, to a certain degree as well. And I think the key thing with with having someone in a partnership is that you have the same values, which I think is, is key. But then also that you have different strengths. So, we have the same values. We know what we want out of our business, but we have different strengths within it. So, Mike is a little bit more creative and probably a little bit more um, comes up with more ideas, comes up with more of the strategy maybe for like what would be good in the future, where we can go with things. And I'm more of the person that actually turns that into reality of what does that look like from a logical standpoint and how are we can make that work. Um, rather than, I think if you have it, both of you that are just super, super creative with ideas someone you're going to clash and you're going to go well mine is better and my idea is better whereas we just both know our role and we go well mike's more than someone who's going to drive those four thinking ideas and go, idea right you are. but how's that actually going to physically work like how are you going to create that launch sequence or that email sequence to make it something viable and they'll be "Oh, yeah, you can't or whatever and, and it's just having different strengths i think um that you, you kind of fill the gaps for each person so where i'm a little bit less on the creative side He he fills that gap, whereas when I'm more technical, with good better with cameras and editing and computers, it fills all those gaps there. um, Which which I think has probably been our main our main um, as a a partnership. I mean, we have different strengths, but we know the end goal and the values that we've got are the same. Um, And that's what I suggest people look for if they're looking for someone in a partner is. It has to be, you have to agree on the same values. Like you, for me, you couldn't have someone who's like a, a bro, bodybuilder, loves loves meal plans work with someone who's a flexible dieter and like thinking out and reach out and drink like and you want them to be happy. Because at some point, those values are gonna mismatch whether it's to do with hard work, whether it's to do with your work ethic, like I said, whether it's to do with just knowledge gaps in terms of like, I believe that you don't need to be this smart to be this coach, or you but I believe it should be this simple or whatever it is. Um, I think that would be, there would be some bullet heads at some point. So i think it's the value of what you believe the industry should look like it should be like that's the matchup um and then the sort of the i suppose the knowledge gaps then can be filled in in terms of the tech or in terms of the actual like so business um creativity whatever, whatever that kind of side of things i don't know if that's what you found in your stuff as well but um for us that's what we
0: yeah definitely i think that if, yeah i think you've nailed it the, the most important things are shared values um I think being aligned on what the goal is and the mission is, and and that can obviously help. And I think obviously that changes often, but having a kind of this is kind of where we think we're heading. And as long as that's the same, that's great. And then ideally some complementary skills, or um, and not just both the same. Um, yeah, I think I think that is important. One of the one of the things that you've done, which I think. Is becoming more common as well is you've built a team so you've got a team of coaches so it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on how you found that pros and cons uh let's start there so how you found it and, and kind of the good the bad the ugly
1: yeah i mean this started when we worked it started when we were working with you really i suppose in terms of when we developed um you know our group coaching program with you um you basically told us to stop sitting on our hands and just want to get out of there in the world. Um, and, and then hiring, and, you know, again, that's kind of I suppose the main thing you helped with you you'd done that before, we hadn't. And I just feel like I don't want to say mistakes were made because that makes it sound bad as if we picked the wrong people. And that's not that's not the case. People that we've worked with have been great and we picked them for a reason and all that sort of stuff. I just think you quickly realize when you bring on you bring on coaches that you need a completely different set of skills to manage those people. Um, and I think it's something that we probably weren't ready for. I think that there's an assumption where, again, we talk about this quite a lot. There's this assumption that people who work with you can, can read your mind, and like that they have the same shared values, and they know exactly how you would do something, or they know exactly how it should be done. And if you're someone who runs a business or owns a business and you do things at a higher level than what you perceive to be a higher level than other people and you know, all that sort of stuff, you have to understand not everyone sees the world that way. Not everyone will put that same level, level of effort in, you know, just naturally. Um, they will see it as in they're going to clock in and clock out because it's their job, not their whole life. Whereas for us, it, it can, I suppose, you know, blur the lines between work and life a little bit with, with being, you know, having own business, being an entrepreneur, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I feel like for us it was very much a case of we were poor managers and poor communicators um, of, of those coaches. Um, that, that's the main the main thing I would say that is, is a weakness and something that we still work on today and that we have to work on consistently. You can't assume that people know exactly what you mean or what you want. Uh, you have to again if you were told us the first time we did this, you have to write things down and have things written down that this is how things are done. That's the that's the protocol. Follow it. Any questions, let me know, but that's the protocol. And it's those sorts of things um, that I think you you come into you you just come up against problems with that, I think. Um, And no one prepares you for that. And I think you can be prepared for it. I think managing people is is quite a unique thing. I think the only way you're gonna learn how to do it is exactly the same way that anyone learns how to do any skill, which is just by doing it and messing up and going, right, well we failed there. So we'll be better next time at doing that. Uh, um, and I think we still mess up now I still don't think we're great communicators. but I still don't think we're great managers um, we're getting better but we are still very limited in terms of experience levels um, so we can't expect to be amazing but I do think for us we got again it's that whole thing of as a business owner it's getting sucked into delivery and then management and at some point you can't remove yourself from delivery instantly you have to have this this period of time where you kind of slowly remove yourself from the delivery and then you can start to manage people to do the jobs effectively and then you start seeing people doing delivery and they don't do it as well as you and you're like oh i'll just i'll just do it myself and that's like the worst thing you can do because then they don't learn and then you get something to do in the work anyway um and, and that i again i don't know but i i think for us that process will take a lot longer than than it will for most people um because we're like we're still in the delivery element of it um you know, it's going to take time. And I think when you work in a personal business like online coaching is, it's not as easy to move yourself um, as it may be in a product-based thing. If you've got a product-based, you know, business, you could probably train someone up and go, this is how you do it. You press this button, you do this. And it's a little bit easier. Whereas with what we do, it's just so customer-facing. Um, you can't just handle your clients up to someone else and go, right, we'll make the same amount of money and then we'll go and do this other thing elsewhere. It doesn't quite work like that. It's, there's a very much uh, a longer transition period. Um, which we struggled with initially, I think, as well, uh, and still struggle with now, um, is, is how we can get more time back to, to manage people effectively so the business can, can kind of run. Because I think if you look at our business now, look at the revenue numbers, you might be like, oh, you could sell it for a decent amount of money if it was anything other than a service-based thing. But the problem is we're still very much involved in the delivery, so it's not worth X amount of money. Even though revenue might look great, it's not worth that much money. You couldn't just sell it. Whereas I imagine, like I say a business like yours, if you can get it to a certain level, you can sell it because it doesn't matter if I own it or someone else owns it whereas for our yeah. business it does matter if we own it. Um, yeah. So I think that's probably the, the thing that I would say that's quite soft when it comes to, to hiring coaches. is that, is, you know, very hands-on um, you have to be very, very good at managing them and get them up to, up to speed in terms of you know, what you expect for, for delivery. Uh, and It just takes longer than I think some people are expected to.
0: There are two sides to this though, right? So if this is going to be become more common. There's going to be more coaches doing well and looking to hire. There's obviously going to be more opportunities for coaches who will probably do well working for other coaches. Um, and it's probably, well, it is, it's a, it's a new role. It hasn't been around for longer than a few years where an online coach can come in and, and be a part of a team. Um, what advice would you give to a coach to help them be a great coach? Uh, member of somebody else's coaching team add value to the business, um, how could they, you know, just, just do a great job and, and add, like I said, add value to the business?
1: I think again, making that person's making that person's life easier that you work with. I don't want to say work for them, because I don't think you ever work in this kind of industry. I don't think you work for them. There's definitely working with them element to it. Is I would assume, again, like, that they're like us and that they're, not, they're going to be the best managers, the best people that manage in you if, if, again, it's a fairly new role, new thing. And, and I would say take the, take the initiative to ask that person what you expect, what's expected of you. Say, what do you want me to do on a daily basis, weekly basis? What do you think will be good to do? What, what, are, what are my expectations in terms of lead generation, doing my own stuff? And what are you going to do for me that I don't have to worry about? I think that's the key key thing is being very, very clear on on what you provide and what you give. So to give an insight into that, uh, what we do, we don't um, provide sort of direct lead generation as in you're gonna get X number of leads through every single week and you're gonna email them and you're gonna send them, that's not what what we provide. What we offer is a group coaching programme that runs uh, pretty successfully, has over 100 people in it per intake. We do five to six intakes a year. And there's an opportunity to upsell those people into coaching, but you still have to post your own content. You still have to make sure that you're present on social media, you still have to be yourself. And what we provide is, well, you don't have to worry about any email marketing. You don't have to worry about any launches of any of those products. You don't have to worry about any admin from that side of stuff. You just have to turn up on social media to be yourself. Um, You're still gonna get organic leads in as we do normally, but under our brand, you, you have that, I suppose, elevated status of being part of the brand. A bit of exposure to, to a certain degree as um, being part of that brand, but it's it's more a case of well, you get to have a group coaching program that you couldn't run on your own because you don't have the infrastructure. Um, and likewise you don't have the money to pay for ads, maybe you know, um, marketing and copywriting, email launches, all that sort of stuff. Um so it's just about being very clear on what you provide, because I think some people have this assumption if they were to join an online coaching company, they would just get given all their leads, and some of them do get given all their leads. And I would say that is, you expect a much higher percentage to be taken off that and given you know, give to the company. So I think for us, what we provide is a lot fairer in terms of percentage that we would take as a company um, because of what we expect that person maybe is a little bit higher than what others expect. Because I've seen some coaches join coaching companies who I know of, and they just don't post on social media. They just don't. They never turn up on social media. And I'm like, well, that's a pretty cool gig for that coach. But again, expect... To not make huge amounts of money per client that you would do if you would work with us, because we still want to have a presence on social media and all that sort of stuff. So straight away it would be ask that company what you expect, what's expected of you on a daily basis, and what you know they don't have. What you don't have to worry about, effectively. Uh, and I think that would be a good place to start. But then you know from day one, right? I start to present social media. Or I start to do this. I start to turn up to do this, or I don't have to do you that. Know, whichever way. Um,
0: I think that would be the, the main thing. I would say. Cool. Okay. So biceps and banter, successful one-to-one online coaching business for yourself, for Mike, a team of coaches with one-to-one online coach uh, online clients, and a successful group program. So why have you moved towards business mentoring and business coaching, business education?
1: Um, mainly because, we, at the time, were coaching a lot of personal trainers. So probably, well, I would say, a third, third of my clients, I think maybe my client, a little bit more. let say about a third of my clients were, were personal trainers. And we just regularly get asked, well, what would you do here? What would you do here? Like, have you got any advice on this, any advice on that? Um, and then we were kind of like looking around at, at some of the advice that we'd seen, you know, being given by other people um other mentors and other people in our space that we'd we known of and heard of and all that sort of stuff um and we're just like looking around and being like hang on a minute we've got a pretty successful business here we haven't done anything that they're talking about like anything like they were talking about some really really you know, weird stuff um so we're just kind of like is this advice even right like we're not sure and obviously like we work worked with you and we got to a position where again we knew it was there was never any sort of like Crazy tactics. It was more a case of like, well, does that align with what you want out of your life and your business? Is that going to work for you? What's the end goal? Like, it was all very much a case of like, you listen to us first, and then we talk about what the outcome might be. And it seemed as though everyone else was just handing out the same blueprint to people, again "We'll do this and you get clients." And we would just see some of the content that we're going out, and some of the things that our clients are being told to do by the mentors. We were just like, "Why would you do that?" Like, that seems bonkers. And we'd get clients say to us. Well, I've been told to do this, but I noticed that you guys never do it, you guys do all right, we're like, yeah, we do all right, we're not done that. And it just, it, it, just, it just came about because we were like, okay, what is the next evolution of what we're doing? Are we just going to coach people once to one? that lasts forever? No, we weren't going to do that. So then we were like, okay, cool, so what's the next logical step? Well, we're getting these questions, we're getting people to ask us these questions, you are already training as a PT's. Is there a market for us to go into this area? And we were a bit nervous about it because I don't think it's a particularly well-respected area um, of of the industry. I think it's full of full of people who are out there to make a quick buck. Um, and I, I, I'll be honest, I don't think any of them know as much as maybe they might be it looks like they know and all that sort of stuff. I think a lot of it's regurgitated and things like that. Um, and it and it came back down to when we started doing one-to-one coaching. We were always like, "There's people out there selling meal plans, selling chicken broccoli and rice." You know, Mike had fallen for that when he was a bodybuilder. I'd done it to a certain degree and I think you mean. Um, and we used to remember saying to people, well, if we don't fight against it, we're part of the problem. If we don't highlight this is wrong and that there's other ways of doing it, there's a better way of doing it, we're kind of part of the problem. And we kind of applied the same logic then to the, to the business. I like to call it a coach and I hate the word mentoring. Um, I know that's what we're going to get called, right? I, I just think it's such, such a negative connotation. But we were like, well, let's see if we can coach coaches. And how to do what we've done, and how we got where we are, and we can start putting some content out and see if people like it, and see if people think there's a you know that we can help them, and that's that's literally how it evolved. Was we have enough people that follow us for long enough um, that were like, yeah, we want your help, and I've not been doing it long, um, maybe what six seven months in already, and I'd say fifty percent of our clients each now are are, are coaches that are asking for, for business help and. I, I still feel a little bit of an imposter syndrome with it, but I also feel that that's a good sign. I think I've always felt that in any job, new job, or new role that I've taken and I felt that in football, I felt that when I was a PT. I remember being nervous as anything in my first PT session, even though I'd trained professional footballers for you know, doing sessions outside. I still felt nervous in this one to one PT session. And I think it's always a good sign. So I was like, well, let's just embrace it um, because we know we're doing the right thing. We know we're yeah. ethical. We know we've got the right people's, you know, people's interests at heart. We'll do it our way, we'll do it differently. Um, and, and the feedback so far has been on our content, and our stuff like, yeah, you guys just do it differently. Everyone else is saying this stuff, but you're saying the opposite and you've been successful. We've got clients that have been successful doing the same thing. And it's kind of yeah, how we've always gone about things really, which is to do things a little bit differently um, and show people that, again, it's, there's no blueprint. It's a case of, yeah, there's principles you could do following, but I don't like seeing everyone being put through the same the, just the same thing. Everyone and it's like, well, if you don't succeed, it's your you're the problem. And it's like, well, no, it's just that the blueprint wasn't right for you. So we were kind of like taking a different approach to it. Um, which again isn't isn't as sexy, isn't as isn't as big on the money side of things, but it is a case of, you know, well, you know, if you put the work in and you work hard enough in a year's time, you could be in a position where you've got a full-time salary as an online coach. Um, and I think that the thing that we hate about the industry is just how it so sort of becomes so money orientated and so driven on 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 being successful based on how much money you make per month, and you know you see some of the figures thrown around, and you know I don't know the, I don't know the quick maths on it, but you know if you if you've got twenty clients, no, if you've got thirty clients paying you one hundred fifty pound a month, that four and a half grand a month, I think it's four and a half grand a month. Um, that's yeah. that's a that's, that's a ridiculous wage for most people. That's that's a that's a really good amount of money. You know you're talking some high level people. You know high level jobs getting paid that amount of money. And for some reason for my coach, that's not good enough. Like that's not okay. Like that, that you've only got 30 clients paying 150 pounds. And to me, it just seems mental. Like I was starting in professional football on 22 round a year. And I know for a fact that there's people at that level now being paid less than four and a half grand a month and they are higher than I was at that time, they're in their 30s. And it just seems to be a massive disconnect. So it's that kind of for us is why we want to go into this and show people, look, if you work hard and get 30 clients in a year's time. That is an amazing result. But the way it's thrown around at the moment is well, you should be able to get that in 30 days. It's like mental. Like, no, like you'll do very well to do that in 12 months. But you know, even if it took two years, why is that a problem? If like, it takes two years, why is that a problem? Like you might actually figure out more by it taking two years, because you'll know what works, what doesn't work. Um, so yeah, it was kind of for us, it was it was a natural progression I suppose channel our passion for the industry. Um, in a way, we can help people again. Stop being screwed over. Stop being ripped off. Um, and, and kind of bring a bit of realism, I think, to to the, to the space because it doesn't seem a lot of it. It seems to be all very pie in the sky and you know crazy, crazy numbers and crazy things we were talking about. And we were like, well, actually, the the as we mostly into fitness, it's not black and white. There's there's shades of grey in there, and, and that's kind of for us is where we we spend a lot of our time. Um, yeah, I suppose posting content and talking about.
0: It. Amazing. And is that what the future holds for biceps and banter? So what, what's the plans for the next five years? Three, five um, years, what, 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 where's this heading?
1: Honestly, we, we, don't have, we don't have any huge, huge plans, um, which sounds pretty bad, I think we probably should have a plan in place. But I think when we look back and realize that we've been doing biceps and banter for four years, it kind of makes us realize, four or five years, maybe five, four or five. It kind of makes us realise there's no point making plans for five years because we would never in our wildest dreams assume we'd be here. Um, never. Like, if you just said to me five years ago, you know, be living in Dubai with my and business that's doing this amount, I'd be like, I just thought you were mental. Uh, mainly because I barely knew Mike at that point. But um, but yeah, so, so it's, it's kind of hard for us to, to kind of answer that, I suppose, and to kind of think about it, but... For us at the moment, it, again, it's going down this route and it's, and it's really helping helping these guys get to where they want to be. And I'm sure at some point we'll, we'll be full with those type of clients and we'll get to a point where we can't take on more people because, again, we're not that way inclined where we're going to water down our service so much. So we'll get full and there will come a point where we have to think about what we're doing and whether that is that we coach some of our other coaches up to this level where they can provide this level of help um, or we can take a bit more of a backseat on some delivery, potentially. Um, but... I, I, I said, I think that's probably the, the main thing. For us, we've always kind of just looked at the next goal, the next step, and then from there, we've then go right, what's the next thing we're going to focus on? So for us, it will be get full with our sort of coaching clients um, from, a, from a sort of, I suppose, a business coaching point of view, um, and then see where, where we need to go and where the gaps are, you know, I suppose, are, are there in the market, potentially, um, at that point. Because it's such a fast-changing thing, that's the thing of fitness and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's forever changing, but I'm sure there'll be, um, there'll be something on the horizon which will be, uh, which will be new and unique and all that sort of stuff. But I think we've worked so hard to get to where we are now, there is definitely an element of wanting to enjoy a little bit of the fact that we can take a bit more time to ourselves, potentially. Um, I think we've worked long enough to maybe sort of enjoy a bit more of the, of the life and the whole work-life balance. Um, if not for, if not for, you know, just for, for a short period of time uh, before we really kick on, maybe, but, um. Who knows I'm sure there'll be something, there'll be something that'll take our eye in the in the near future. But I think when you consider what we have achieved, what I've achieved in the years since we've been out here, we looked at the other day and we we're just like, you just forget, you just don't, you just take it for granted. You're always looking ahead, you're looking at the future. You want more, you want this, you want that. And I think when you look back, sometimes you realize, you know, in COVID, I remember when we messaged each other in COVID, we thought, we thought COVID could have been it. We were like, that could that could have done As it did, so many businesses in, we were just like, well, people aren't going to spend money on this now because they're not having money. And COVID was actually exploded our business and actually made it bigger because of the online But we didn't know. I think at any moment you feel like it could be taken away from you. So you kind of always have that fear and and, and worry and concern with that. So it's, um, yeah, who knows? Who knows? For now, just uh, play plenty of golf that's the main thing that's what I care about just, uh, play
0: golf yeah. let that unhealthy scarcity uh drive the business forward it's fine that- that's it, exactly yeah. that exactly
1: that feeling they could all just disappear tomorrow yeah that's, uh, yeah. that's really nice embrace it embrace
0: yeah. it embrace that fear yeah. um kill cool. okay are you up for some quick fire questions to finish oh go on then why did you move to Dubai
1: why did he move to Dubai? Uh, I'd be lying if I didn't say tax was a huge reason. Um, Mike was here. That was another reason. Uh, and golf was another reason. Um, but yeah, it was very much a multitude of things. Um, I think, as, as you know from me out here as well, I think that kids' education was always a huge part of it. Safety was a huge part of it. The weather was a huge part of it. Um, all those things combined, I think, just led to um, taking a leap again, taking another leap. And again, it was backing myself a little bit. Fuck it, take the lead What's the worst that could happen to me back home again? That was it.
0: What's something you hate about the industry?
1: Um, how easy people make it look. Well, they how much, and they say how easy it is. That's the thing that frustrates me most, like, Because I know that they've worked their nuts off to get where they are. It annoys me.
0: Yeah. What's the biggest mistake you see other coaches making?
1: Copying other coaches. Don't get it. is this. There's this copying other coaches who you think are successful, but don't actually know if it's working for them or not. That's the thing I find odd. Um, just because someone's got a big following, I'll copy their content because they got a big following. But yeah, as we both know, we know people with big followings are making hard anyway. Um, yeah, drives me insane. That.
0: Uh, and to finish on a positive note, what's something you love about the industry?
1: Uh, how much you can influence someone's in life. In a positive way. So, so even from a fat loss point of view, obviously, now we do, you know, coaching coaches' point of view is knowing that if you're prepared to put some work in, I say some work, a lot of work in, you can drastically change your life. Um, I think it's it's a huge one. Like people who who, who I've coached with fat loss who have gone on to completely change their health. get their cycle back, have kids, you know, it's, it's that's ridiculous to think that you can have an impact on that. And obviously in terms of business stuff, again, something we work with, being in a position where they don't have to fret about certain things like that um, and having that positive influence is is good. But like I said, the caveat to that is the fact that it's the, the hard work involved um, first, knowing that seeing people get that get that reward um, from, from that hard work, I think, is, is definitely a thing I love about it.
0: Amazing. Last two answers were very similar to... To Mike, people not being themselves, and then being able to impact people's lives. In fact, the same answers, which is good to see. Yeah, so shared values.
1: Scary, yeah, <laughs> shared values and all that. But um but yeah, no, it's uh it, it. I I think it's one of those industries where I think look, you've been probably been through the same thing. is like you, you have some weeks where you love it and some weeks where you hate it because one of those two things just gets on your really nerves or or really lights you up, um, depending on which week you're in. And,
0: we all have it. We
1: all have those, those ups and downs, I think, as, as well. I think people listen to this, like, so the, the whole thing about the scarcity stuff that you mentioned there that drives you, it's, you know, some weeks you feel like on top of the world, you feel like nothing can touch you and everything's going rosy. You're dreaming about, you know, doubling your income next year and being fantastic. And then the next minute you're worried that all your clients might leave you and you have no money. And,
0: you know, it's just
1: like, it's, that's normal. I think you know, the, the more you have, the more you have. Just the reality.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just the reality of running the business. Pill. Yeah, and that's that's
1: the other thing I think as well about you mentioned before, I just finishing this about coaches and kind of like whether they're right to be working with someone else or not. I think that's that that feeling is, is something. If you can ride that feeling out, you're probably fine to be you know run your own business. If you feel that really cripples you, probably best having someone who, who you can work with and lean on a little bit. Um, I think that's the, the key thing for certainly for me, Mike. I feel like you've got that accountability of someone else to kind of talk it out with on your own i think it can be um it can be quite debilitating if you don't have good support you. No um, because e- it's um, it's common like i say it's just week to week isn't it it's up and down like that
0: yeah especially if things aren't going well it's it's easier to ride if things are going well but if you're struggling and you're on that roller coaster then you know it's a different ball game right dan uh it's been a pleasure mate if people want to find you where should they go
1: instagram at danbicepsbanter and then if you go on youtube you can search for
0: biceps and banter i'm sure that our channel will come up um, because no one else is stupid enough to call their youtube channel that so good i'm sure i've seen one that's very similar maybe um biceps and booze maybe or beer i don't know something very similar yeah there is there
1: is one that's very similar yeah but it's not as good yeah
0: not as bad yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Well, thanks for joining me, Dan, and I'll speak to you soon.
1: Yes.